he'll be back soon. And then uh, Jim has something he'd like to share with us before Christmas. So uh, the plan is I only take this one Sunday. That's completely up to you. We know that. So yeah, sometimes we come in with our plans and our notes and everything's nice and neatly packaged and you screw it all up. <laughs> uh, you'll have to answer for that, so we'll just let the Lord take care of that. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll take a look at chapter one here. Uh, would somebody like to lead us in prayer? I always say, would you like to? And I always tell myself, don't do that. I should just ask, who's going to lead us in prayer? Okay, Lugi. Oh, Amen. Okay, so Christmas time. You know, as Christians, we know the story. Uh, we read it, you know, just before we open our presents often. Uh, but I think uh, it, it's good for us to always go back and, and think on these things, that, these words that are so familiar to us. So that's what I want us to do this morning. Beginning in verse 18, Matthew chapter 1 through verse 23. So Matthew 1, 18 to 23. Now... The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she, saw, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And you know, uh, on our podcast this last week, uh, uh, John gave a devotion on this. Just, just his thoughts on Joseph himself, who's, you know, one of the, one of the main characters in the story, but we don't, know, we don't talk much about him. And so I encourage you to listen to that episode that's up right now. I think he did a really good job of covering this and, and sharing his thoughts on this. Verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will, have, he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And this is our main verse for this morning. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means... God with us. Tylan and I, my son-in-law and I, uh, are reading through the best of Tozer right now, and uh, we we meet uh, once a week and we discuss, you know, thoughts from it. And we had a really great discussion this week. We usually do, and well, we always do. And you know, just this question came up in in our discussion that was challenging for us. It's not something that Tozer said, but it's just a question we ended up asking ourselves in the discussion, and it was this, are you all about him without him? And, you know, to be honest, 
I think this is the, the biggest struggle for my life, to be all about Jesus without Jesus. Again, Tozer says that the modern science, scientist has lost God amid the wonders of his world. We Christians are in real danger of losing God amid the wonders of his word. You know, I have found uh, being in an official, vocational-type ministry for over 30 years that some of the most miserable people I have come across have been those who know theology extremely well and can, can parse it and lay it out in front of you and answer your questions and, and wax elegance, but be some of the most miserable people I've ever been around. We find that we are in the same place where we know His Word, but we've lost the wonder of His Word. Major Thomas once said this, It's not difficult for man to live the Christian life, somebody once said. And then Major went on to say it's a sheer impossibility. A sheer impossibility, that is, without Christ. But for all that He says, you have all that He is, and that is all that it takes. Do you agree with that? Now, I don't mean, you know, with your mind and say, I mean, how you live. Do you agree with this statement that Jesus is all that it takes to live the life that God has created you for? I think, you know, Christmas time is a good time for us as believers to ask these questions. And so I have a question for you. In our passage, Emmanuel, God with us. Why was God so specific about the name of his son? Any ideas? God doesn't do anything by, he doesn't just make it up as he goes. Okay. Why is that a big deal? Okay. What was going on? Okay, and why is that a big deal? Because he was never with them in the same way as he will be after the coming of Christ. Okay. Now how's he going to be with them that's different? In them? The Holy Spirit? Okay, and why is that such a big deal? Because it helps us. Okay, and what does that mean that he helps us? Okay. It means apart from him we can do nothing. Ooh. What does that mean that we can do nothing? It means we can do nothing. Isn't that so difficult for us to come to? Yes. Again, it's easy to say. Yes. It, you know, the, what you put up there before, it's easy to say. Mm-hmm. So I believe that to understand the significance of God's name for His Son, we really need to look throughout Scripture to see this relationship between God and man. What has God always intended with this relationship? What have we done with it? How has He responded to that? So to do that, let's go to Genesis. I teach Genesis at His Hill. I tell the students in the beginning of the year, 
that if you if I believe that if you're going to have an accurate understanding of Scripture, you have got to have you've got to have a solid understanding of at least the first three chapters of the Bible, and you'll find that as you work through Scripture and you, you come across questions and you search for answers, you'll find that th these answers you come up with, the best thing to do, the best test for those answers is to go back to the first three chapters of the Bible. And does your answer agree with the first three chapters of the Bible? And it's amazing what you find in those first three chapters. That there's really all of life, the, the, the principle, the basic of, basics of, of life are found in those first three chapters. And so let's go back and let's look at some of this. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, very familiar words. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we find from the very beginning, this is, this is the, the, the reason for you sitting in this room today. If you're listening online, it's the reason for you listening right now. The reason you are here, the reason you are listening, is that the image of God be seen. Now, how is this possible? Do you, do you ever reflect when you read this verse? Do you ever reflect on this? The image of God is supposed to be seen in me. I was thinking about that, that simple question this morning. I was just going through the notes real quick, and I thought, Paul, do I? I talk about this a lot. You know, I teach Genesis every year, and I talk about this a lot, and because I teach this, I, specifically, especially with our students, I often go back again. So I'm always saying, go back, go back, go back to these first three chapters. And, and so I talk about this a lot, and I was just sitting there at my desk this morning and just thinking, have I reflected on this? I started to think about our business. Part of our business is customer service, and I just thought, God, there's a reason why you have not put me in charge of customer service. Now, the, the majority, and I'd say 99.9% .9 of our customers are just wonderful. You know, it's, it, it's, it's been just a joy uh, to, to be associated with them, but every once in a while, we get this one customer that's just kind of interesting. No, that doesn't understand why, in particular right now, we have one customer who doesn't understand why she has to pay for extra shipping because she gave us the wrong address to ship her stuff to. She doesn't understand that. And she says, and you call yourself Christians. We go, what? Well, when I heard that, let me tell you, I had a response. And it ended with, and please never buy from us again. It's a good thing I'm not the one that responded. But Madeline did. And she prayed through it, and she gave this woman way more time than I think she should have had. And she wrote a very long response explaining why we do the things we do the way we do them. And then she ended it with, but we will give you a full refund. And I thought, oh. <laughs> And I thought, oh, hmm. I mean, even as I was thinking through it this morning, I realized I'm not displaying the image of God right now. And it felt really good to tell you the story so I could tell you how crazy she was. Do you ever reflect on this, how the image of God 
is seen in me. And then we, we realize, oh my goodness. You know, we just think, what a wonderful thought. Yeah, the image of God seen in me. Well, is God seen in you? How's that possible? How's it ever going to be a possibility? Look, listen a little further down in chapter 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. You see, it's, it's, it's real clear here how God made it possible for his image to be seen in the man. And the way Major Thomas said it, it was like this. It takes God in the man for man to be the man that God made man to be. Isn't that incredibly, isn't that an incredible simple thought? Incredibly simple thought. That it takes God in the man for man to be the man that God made man to be. And so if we really think it through, it means this, man without God ain't man. But just an empty shell, a possibility. But we know that death, our separation from God, was always a possibility for man. Because as we go on in verse, chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So we see that we were made for God's life, but we see that it was possible for us to die. And then in chapter 3 of Genesis, in verse 4, the serpent comes on the scene. And he says this to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In our Thanksgiving conference just a couple of weeks ago, Charles Price was there and he made a really interesting comment on this verse. He said this, The lie in the garden was not that you will be like God, but that you will be like God without God. And so, what, what's going on with you? Are you all about Him without Him? It's a very subtle and alluring lie. Another question, what does, the, what does then we, we say that we were creating the image of God and we find that the image of God is only a possibility by God living his image through us. Well, then what does the image of God look like? You know, I think we all agree, yeah, I'm supposed to show the image of God. You know, scripture is clear. Well, what does that look like? Any ideas on that? Oh, come on, you guys. You're, you're incredible talkers. Like looks like Jesus? Okay, and then what would Jesus look like? How did he describe it? Okay, to walk in love. Okay, so the fruit of the Spirit will be seen, which includes love. Good. Any other thoughts? Complete dependency on the Father. Okay. A complete dependency upon the Father. Uh, well, I think we're given a description of it here in Genesis chapter 2. In verse 
25, this is that passage, if you have children's Bibles at home, you know, this is the passage you get to in Adam and Eve, always standing, you know, strategically behind plants. And, and, and you get past that page as quick as you can with the children, right? Because you don't want any questions on that one, right? But there's a reason why this verse is here. In verse 25 of chapter 2, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What, what are we seeing there? Well, I think it's pretty clear what we're seeing. We're seeing man and, man and woman living before God, completely God-conscious and not self-conscious. But now look at, the, look at the change in chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened after they had taken from the fruit, and they knew that they were naked. Isn't that interesting? That's the first thing that happens. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. All of a sudden, they are now living self-conscious and not God-conscious. And it, it, just a side note, it's kind of interesting to me that when you live self-conscious, what, what, what you do is just absolutely stupid. You ever think about that? They're wearing leaves. I mean, the answer to their problem is that they wear a salad. Isn't that crazy? I, I, think about that. I mean, it's, really? But see, nothing has changed, has it? As we move on in Scripture, we find that the encouragement for us is to live God-conscious. What do I mean? Well, in Hebrews and uh, chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. We're to be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Why? Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, what we see is a description of what only God could do. And it's already done. And so what is our encouragement? Be fixed on Him. And the word fixed means to look away from all else exclusively to. So what you and I do, what we become self-conscious, our fixation, our, our concentration is on our problem and how I need to fix my problem and what I need to do and to you know, come up with our checklist and to you know, study more scripture and to enact more, more good things, right? And, and, and it's not that those things are bad things, except we make them bad because our dependence becomes on what we're doing and not what he has done. And so nowhere in scripture does it tell, tells, does it tell us not to deal with our problems, but it tells us how to deal with our problems, how to be active in dealing with what? Fixed on him, conscious of him, dependent upon him, and not fixed on me, not dependent upon me. But that goes against, it goes against our flesh, doesn't it? Again, to quote from Tozer, who said this, the stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. We become very religious as a result of the lack of our desire for Jesus. Complacency is a deadly foe for all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Verse 26. 
What an incredible thought. I, when I was a little guy, three and four years old, we had a pastor. His name was James Sample. And years later, the Lord brought us back together. He, in, the, in, in those years, he was, he was a, a pastor in all those years. He had just, just was so busy for the Lord. He was so active for the Lord. And something happened. And through this, through this experience that the Lord took him through, he ended up becoming a, a teacher at his hill. He was one of our guest lecturers. It was just interesting how the Lord brought us back together. And what had happened was Major Thomas came to preach at his church one time, and he pastored a, a big church. And so with big church came a lot of, a lot of big problems. <laughs> and so he was, uh, he, Major was there for the week, and he kept looking for an opportunity to talk with him. He couldn't do it because everybody else wanted to talk to him. Finally, at the end of the week, Major was, the next church he was preaching in was a, a car ride away. So he decided, well, I'll just take him there. So James had Major Thomas all to himself. And on the ride there, he got to finally have this discussion that he wanted. And he said, Major, I, uh, I had a few questions for you. Major said, okay. He said, we've got this lady in our church. He's in, she's in the choir, and she has become such a problem. She tries to, he goes and he explains the problem to her. Major was quiet through the whole explanation. And then so James looks at him and says, what do you think? And he said, James, have you placed your faith in Christ? Well, well, yeah. Do you believe that he is sovereign? Yeah, Jesus is God. I believe he's sovereign. So then you believe that he has control of this situation? Of course. Major says, then let him. And James thought, well, that's interesting. He says, okay, well, I've got this other situation. And he went through three different problems he was going through, and Major responded exactly the same way, same words. If you put your faith in Christ, do you believe he is sovereign? So you believe he has this situation, then let him. And James says he was so angry. He couldn't get him to the next church quick enough. Dropped him off and left. And he says the whole ride home, he keeps thinking, have you put your faith in Christ? Do you believe he is sovereign? Do you really believe he has this situation? Then let him. And he said he couldn't get that out of his head, the whole ride home. He was so frustrated. Then he kind of came around to maybe answering those questions. Yes, I believe he's... Yes, I put my faith in Christ. Yes, I believe he's sovereign. Yes, I believe he has control of this. No, I will not let him. The Lord began to work on his heart, and he began to see that it takes God and the man for man to be the man that God made man to be. And he, later on, to get his doctorate, he began, his doctorate was on the topic of grace. And when he gave when he gave his oral exam before the profs, he did such an incredible job of explaining God's grace to us. Not a freedom to live the way we want, but enabling and enabling to live the way we were created. 
they looked at him when it was over with, his professors looked at him when it was over with, and they said, James, you need to write a book on grace. Are we living God-conscious or self-conscious? So now, because of the fall, another question for you, what is now required of man in our fallen state? We were creating the image of God, but we've fallen from that. So what is required of us now? Okay, repent. Yeah, without repent. Okay, so repent and depend. Okay. In other words, be holy, for I am holy, God says. In other words, look, we're not exempt from living out the image of God. Though we have fallen from the image of God, we are not exempt from living out the image of God. You know, God nowhere in the Scripture says, Ah, gee, that's too bad. Well, let's just get through this and we'll fix it in heaven. But isn't that the way we live? I'm sorry, that's the way I live. You know, I fight with that all the time. I just figure, you know what, that's too bad. You know, customer wants something that's ridiculous. Well, she deserves my response. That's just too bad. I shouldn't respond that way, but I did. That's too bad. God will fix it in heaven someday. I'll just try to do better. But no, throughout Scripture, you know, because of time, I know I can't have you turn to all this, but just listen to this, okay? Repetition equals emphasis. In Leviticus 11.44, For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. So what's the standard of the holiness that we're supposed to be? God. So be holy. How holy? As holy as God. How are you doing with that? Verse 45, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 9, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 20, verse 6, Thus, you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And then you say, well, that's the old covenant. And we've been saved by grace. Okay, new covenant. I thought I had that in here. Let's see. Well, I don't. I did have First Peter? Yes. Where? Yeah, I just had the verse. I thought I had it written out. Anyway, it reads like this. First Peter 1, 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So how are we doing with that? So far, it's pretty discouraging, isn't it? Man could not achieve this of himself. We know Scripture is very clear with this. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. 
For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. And then over in Hebrews. <laughs> okay, turn to it. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 7. This is the chapter where the writer is summarizing everything that he's been teaching. And he really brings everything together that he's wanting to get across. So in verse 7, he says... For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second, a second covenant. So what was wrong with the first covenant? Well, keep your finger there and go back to, let's go to Exodus 24. In Exodus 24, and in verse 3, we read this. Then Moses came to recount to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Okay, so... This, you know, okay, here it is. Here's the law. And they go, we'll do it. Yeah. We'll even memorize it. We got it. Okay, now go back to chapter 8 in Hebrews. And in verse 8, for finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, Ooh, says the Lord. Okay, so what do we find out that's wrong with the covenant? Now remember, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill. And as you study the law, you see that the law is actually an accurate description of the character of God. So let's be careful when we say that there's something wrong with the old covenant, with the law. What's the problem with the old covenant? Jeff? Me. Me. See, right, right. I'm the problem with the Old Covenant because the Old Covenant depends upon me. Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Weak as it is through me, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now we're starting to see there's some hope. Galatians, we love Galatians 2.20. And we usually stop there, but 
2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, which is dependent upon me, then Christ died needlessly. So if I'm the problem, y'all, if I'm the problem, I can't be the solution. I cannot be like Jesus. I cannot live out the image of God by sheer determination. I had a student one time uh, at a, another one of our torchbearer centers come up to me. We were going through the book of Hebrews, and he was a little frustrated with me. He came up to me and says, now listen, let me understand something. I want to make sure I'm hearing what you're saying. Are you telling me that I can't live this life on my own? And I thought, yep. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said this. He says, yes, I can. I said, really? You can do this? He goes, yeah. And that's, that's why I talked to him. I said, listen, you've got to understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we can't do good things of our own or even live commendable lives. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that our good is nothing but filthy rags because it is not righteous. It is not God's life. It is not His image. But here's the incredible thing. God has returned the intimacy of His presence to man. And that's what we're reading about. That's our main passage this morning. Emmanuel, God with us. There's, Jesus is described three different ways in our initial um, uh, passage, Matthew 1, 18 to 23. What are these three ways? Well, first of all, the name Jesus is found. Jesus is Greek and it means Savior. In Hebrew, this name would be Joshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation. Now there were a lot of Jewish kids running around named Joshua, named Jesus. But none of them had the title Christ, which means anointed. And this is the equivalent of Messiah. Wearsby says Jesus is his human name. Christ is his official title. And Emmanuel describes who he is, God with us. And so we find in Scripture that God shows himself fully in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses, a full revelation of who he is. He's held back nothing of himself. He completely shows us himself in this baby. And so now, as we look through this, as we've taken our time and we've gone starting in Genesis and we've worked through, when we get to John chapter 14, there's, there's a statement that Philip makes. And I have come to realize that this statement is paramount. This statement is pivotal. Pivotal. It's a big statement. That, that we're given in Scripture when Philip says, Lord... Show us the Father. 
that's enough. Why would he want to know this? Show us the Father. Because that's what we were made for. We were made to show the image of God. And so Philip says, show us God. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, has seen the image of God. How can you say, show us the Father? Again, to quote Wearsby, he said that when Jesus said that knowing him and seeing him was the same as knowing and seeing the Father, he was claiming to be God. God with us. If this were not true, guys, if this is not true, then you and I are wasting our time being here now. Let's just go down to Mary's Tacos. Let's, do, let's just enjoy what we can while we can. If Jesus is not God, why? My last question for you, why? Why is that such an important thing to come to, that Jesus, that baby in the manger, is God? Why is that a big deal? Anything less is just me. Yeah. 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 God's presence for man is shown in Christ. And this we find is necessary for the gospel to be fulfilled. Why would I say that? Well, first of all, why the death? Why does Jesus have to die? Well, the punishment for sin is death. Very clear in Scripture. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He, God, made Him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin. These are, these are familiar words, aren't they? But do we ever slow down and just read them? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It, why? Why? Otherwise, it's just saying the same thing the Pharisees said. I can do all these things. I've got all these rules and I can do them. Yeah, in me. Yeah, yeah, all on my own. I'm good. The, the we might become on its own is condemning because it's still up to us. Hmm. But it's the actual, the in him is the enabling. Yeah, I like that. It's the whole the working out of, of I am the vine and you are the branches. It's, it's restating that he is that channel that, that opens up everything that God is. Hmm. So we see God showing himself to us in the death of Christ, and then we see. The resurrection. Why the resurrection? Well, God is to be seen. And first of all, why does he have to be raised? Well, he said he would. That's an important thing. Jesus said, or, I'm sorry, and he and said, sir, so these are the, the religious leadership. They, you know, they're going to, 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 to Pilate. Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said after three days, I am to rise again. So they were listening, but they didn't hear anything. I can identify with that. Matthew 28, verse 6, He is not here, for He has risen, the angel said. 
just as he said. So the resurrection was necessary because he said it was going to happen and also because it's impossible for a dead man to continue to minister. If Jesus, is, as far as he went, was just the cross, and you read through, read through the book of Acts, you will not find a sermon that just talks about Jesus dying. But they go on to talk about him coming back to life. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. As he indwells us and brings to us the victory over death. Paying the price and bringing that, bringing that to us. And then, uh, I found this statement on gotquestions.org. If Jesus never rose from the dead, there would be no compelling reason to believe that he is who he said he is. But the fact is that he did rise again, confirming his claim to be God. And then finally, after his resurrection, why the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Well, it brings us back to the, one of the first statements I showed you from Major Thomas. It takes God and the man for man to be the man that God made man to be. That's why we must be indwelt. In Acts chapter 2, verses 2 and 4, it reads like this. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Okay, now, it's, you got, we've, got to, we've got to understand this. Spirit. The word spirit is the same word as wind. Spirit and wind, same word, both in the Greek and in the Hebrew. So what am I getting at? Okay, well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, it says the wind. They heard the sound of a wind. They heard a blowing. They heard a breath. And already, this is fun. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 that we've read, And the Lord God formed man from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Breathe there means breath and blow. It's almost like one person wrote the Bible. And he didn't care what language he was writing it in. You see, we have a great hope. Because God is with us. In Colossians 1, verse 27, it reads like this, To whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ, where? Breathed in you. The hope of glory, the hope, the certainty of the image of God. What a, what a reason to celebrate. Merry Christmas. Isn't this incredible? Tylen and I, when we were living in Louisiana, uh, Paul, um, my brother, taught Tylen and me how to flip houses. And so after Paul had taken us through the process, we felt like, okay, we can do this. So we bought a place. And everybody thought we were out of our minds. My brother thought we had lost our minds. 
a contracting friend of ours showed up. He was so excited for us, you know, buying a place and gonna re, we're going we're gonna to remodel it and sell it. We're going to flip this house. He, they, he was so excited for us. He showed up to look at it. And I remember him just walking through the house, not saying a word to us, just <laughs> looking around. And he got in his truck and he left. And I know what he was doing. He went home to pray for us. People thought we lost our minds. And as we started to get into, into it, we started to wonder too. We found out it was termite infested. It had been burned. That's why it looked the way it did. It, the house had been burned. Only one room did not have to have the drywall ripped off of it. And as we started to rip the drywall off, we found termites everywhere. So we had to go through there. We had to replace all the lumber. We had to pull top plates off the top of the wall and shove new ones in. So I mean, we had to build temporary walls to be able to get. We, had, we got an education. Don, you would have been so proud of us. <laughs> we got through that. And then when it came time to sell it, I was up at his hill as a guest speaker. And Tylen was back home. The realtor called us. And one put us on the line at the same time. He says, okay, guys, are you sitting down? And we both said, yep. <laughs> Good. Because here's what you're getting for it. My brother was shocked. We were taken back. We couldn't believe the offer we got for this house. But you see, the house didn't look the same. For... And because we're the ones that did it, we know it actually was in better shape than it was when it was first built. It had been restored, though it was a mess. It was a wreck. One of the neighbors came by and said, you know, there's no way you can make money on this. You're out of your mind. He, he laughed at us. He says, you need to tear it down. Do you ever feel like maybe that's a description of you? You know, and all we can think of is maybe slap a little pain on it. But what God is about is what? Restoring. Making us new. What, we, what he always intended us to be. God with us. So are you living all about him for him? or without him. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and for your simple reminder that it takes you and us for us to be what you made us to be. Thank you for making this a reality through your son, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.